So, you're ready to receive some more wonderful ministry from Pastor Bob. We're just so grateful for uh, his being able to come and be with us during this time. Obviously, as you've heard uh, from this morning, he just has a few things on his plate. So, the fact that he's able to spend some time here with us to minister has been just a great blessing this morning. If you were not here, uh, Pastor Bob spoke on the... um, concept of fathers and sons and multiplication through that relational connection. And this afternoon, he's got some more to share with us. So we've got just about an hour left of our time together, and we want to give that to Pastor Bob. So would you join me in welcoming him here again this afternoon? Thank you, Pastor. Well, did you enjoy the food? It reminded me of my Mexican days with the hot sauce, but this wasn't the same type of spice, I know. I'm not sure what that was, but it was warm. It's good to eat that in Minnesota on a nice March day like this. You all received, let me just explain a little bit to you, the magazine or the the paper is uh, the surge report. It's put out um, quarterly. Four times a year, and Pastor Larry has four, uh, has twelve uh, church planters, principal ones in the nations, and so each one of these is put out by three different zones of the world one time a year. This one is the Far East, and this is the in Lebanon and the Mid East, and so on. I'm not sure all of the ones that wrote the articles. I haven't even had a chance to read it yet. It just came off the press when we were leaving from Baton Rouge. The, um, so I, my team will be putting one out in, uh, I think it's in the month of, uh, of uh, June of next year. We put one out in the month of uh, uh, September of last year. And that that's the zone, my zone, the Brazilian zone, and the Central American and Mexico zone. That's all of Latin America. And so, thank you. So just to explain, it, it shows you what's happening in Europe and in the, in the Mideast, and I believe uh, uh, some of the other countries like uh, uh, the old Soviet Union and so on are in there too, so... If you, on the first page as you open it up, there's a young couple there that are going to be, I'm, I'm uh, mentoring them as sons. They're not, um, I've only known them for a couple of years, but they're really highly involved in our church um, in Lima, Peru that we sent 16 years ago, we sent a missionary family from, from Colombia to start churches in Peru, and uh, they're They've been working with that missionary family, and so we've talked to them, and we're planning on starting this another strategic church there. Okay, let's get on. I want to speak about unleashing the power of multiplication in your life, and I'm going to emphasize basic things of the Holy Spirit. Um, my introduction will start with Romans 8:28. Uh, you know, we all know that verse. We know that all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. I don't know. I know it in Spanish. I don't know it in English. (laughs) 
anyway, um, and then it goes on to tell in verse 29 that we were predestined. And uh, predestination is very interesting. We see um, some of the extreme uh, predestination. I say extreme grace people that once saved, always saved. And that the predestination is by your by election. And you can only be saved if you have been elected by the Lord to be saved. There's some that are that far out. I'm, I believe in predestination that we are free will moral agents. God created us. But he chose us like Ephesians 4 talks about Ephesians 1 4 talks about that before the world was formed God predestined us he chose us predestined us and before we before the planet all existed we were in God's mind that is powerful to me and but we still can say yes or no we're not puppets but if we, we were chosen before the world began because of God's foreknowledge, that's the, that's the way I believe. And I'm sure there's a lot of guys that have studied uh, theology more than I have. But I believe that's my simple thinky doctrine, that um, I believe that we were chosen because God knew beforehand what we were going to do with the opportunity we have that we had later uh, to either reject or accept. He knew before, and that way he didn't violate our free will. I know some, uh, some Presbyterian brethren that believe, I, I was, it was really interesting, one time down in Rio Verde in Mexico, I had just come in from a, a ranch, we call them these little towns, they're called ranches, ranchos in Spanish, down in Mexico, and I'd preached the first sermon in a town called Sermon, and I met this, met this Presbyterian uh, minister. I'd go once a week down there to the post office to get our mail. It was a three-and-a-half-hour drive from where I lived, crossed the river 17 times in a car without, with a truck without any bridges. It was quite interesting in rainy season. Sometimes I get stuck and have to swim out of my car. I mean, it's bad stuff. But anyway, he says, what are you going out there to all these ranches? And you, you know, your wife is up there in that little town, no lights, no running water. And we were paying $12 a month for our house, quite a mansion. Uh, <laughs> that's a joke, but you didn't catch it. <laughs> but anyway, um, so when we were talking, he says, you know, uh, these people are going to be saved. The elect of God are going to be saved whether you go or not. And I said to him, do you really believe that? He said, yes. I said, well, what are you doing in Rio Verde? He said, you know, I hadn't stopped to think about that. And a month later, he had packed up and gone back to the States. It never continued. Now, we've got a, a, a kind of a plague of that going around down in Colombia right now, where if you're not elected, you can't, you have no choice in your salvation. If you've been elected, you're elected, and you can never fall because... You've been elected. Well, you know, so, but I, I know that, we know that um, we're not infallible and that we can lose our salvation and all of that. But when it talks about that, 
he begins, God is beginning, when we understand predestination to be fruitful and multiply, after we've accepted the Lord, he begins to prepare us for a complete change of heart. And he begins to uh, give us, equip us in the body. Now, Ephesians 4 is one of my favorite chapters. It starts out by saying that, that we need to be a good example. And uh, we need to have a good testimony. And so on. And then it gets down to the gifts that God has given these gifts of ministry. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. A lot of people think it's only, there's only four gifts because a pastor is a teacher. And so... Um, but I believe that there's five principal apostolic gifts. And so, but what are those gifts for? Those gifts are to equip the body for the ministry. It says, um, let me, let me, I, I, don't, I don't remember this in English as well as I should. So I'm going to go to that. Ephesians 4. And I'm going to look this up here. It says that um, in verse 11, verse 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints. Now, in my Spanish version, it says for the perfection of the saints. But that word was translated many times when it was actually talking about equipping instead of we, we know that we're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven. And so, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. I believe that that perfect means there a mature man to be measure to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about every, with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the craftiness in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every uh, joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is actually the reason for every ministry to exist. God didn't give you pastors to do all the work of the ministry. He gave you pastors to equip you for the work of the ministry. And in that work of the ministry, uh, one of the basic things is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be equipped with the gifts, the nine spiritual gifts that are available to us that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians capítulo, uh, chapter 12, uh, Verses uh, 8 through 10, they're all listed right in two little verses there. The, the gifts of the Spirit. And then we have the five-fold ministry gifts. And then we have the seven, we call them functional gifts or motivational gifts in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And it starts actually in verse 6 through 8, 
where it talks about those seven uh, ministries. Now, those seven ministries are basically given to everyone when they're born. They have those. Um, those that preside would be like politicians or people that are speakers and presiding. Those that exhort. Exhorting doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, give him my, my, a, tang, a tongue lashing. I'm going to put him in order. Exhorting merely means to encourage, to be encouragers. And so God is preparing us. He's predestined us, chosen us before we ever existed, made us completely acceptable in the body of Christ, in the beloved, it says. And he has given us leaders over us to equip us for the ministry that God has has called us to do. We've all been called to be leaders in some area. Not everybody's a preacher. Not everybody's an evangelist. Not everybody has one of these five-fold ministries. But we all can be servants. We all can teach. Then I'm going back to the, the, the seven gifts in Romans. If you'll notice, every time that you get into the gifts, you'll see the word grace. And that's so important. Because you know the Corinthian church got out of order they had, they had all kinds of gifts going on there. But they didn't have any maturity. And they were just, Paul had to write several chapters to straighten out the, 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 the malfunction of these gifts in that church. So um, I, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. So I'm going to go back to my notes. And I'm going to... Continue here. I, I don't know what your background is. I don't know. Um, no, I messed this thing up here. Uh, I don't know what uh, what level you are in the Lord. But I'm going to start with the basic things. Um, we start out by being saved. On the, on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized the same day they got saved. Um, we don't do that um, because most of the people that are being baptized were not, uh, they knew nothing of the word, didn't even understand what they were doing. So we give them a little course and they go through that little course and then we baptize them later. But anyway, baptism is so important because if we have people in our church that have been saved, entre comillas I say in Spanish, I'm not, quote, unquote, I'm not sure if they're really saved. They don't want to be baptized. Now, a person that doesn't want to be baptized in water, I question the validity of their relationship with God. So it's baptism, and then it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit before you are baptized in water. That The order or the timing of that doesn't, isn't important. But it is very, very important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it talks about um, when Jesus gave his, his com- great commission, you know, it's in all four Gospels. And it's also in the book of Acts. He says in Acts 1.8, he says, you wait in Jerusalem, you tarry in Jerusalem till you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you shall be my witnesses in 
Minneapolis, oh no, St. Paul, we're St. Paul. Then we go to Minnesota, or then we go to uh, Samaria, which I figure, I think is one of the, it would be considered like one of the unreached people groups, you could say, or Wisconsin. (laughs) Are you from there, or do you have a grudge with Wisconsin? (laughs) And so... And so you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But that just opens the door. And I believe, uh, I believe that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will speak in other tongues. That's the way I was taught. It's, it's mentioned in, in Acts 2, 1 through 4. It's mentioned in, in uh, Acts 4, uh, 10, 44. Uh, probably 20, 10, 10 years after the day of Pentecost, they, they were experiencing the same, the same thing. How did they know that these Gentiles were filled with the Holy Spirit? They all spoke in other tongues. And then in, in uh, chapter 19 of Acts, verse 6, Paul met these guys, and they were, uh, he laid hands on them. They didn't even know anything about the things of the Spirit. And so he laid hands on them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in other tongues. I'm not trying to say that that has to be in every occasion, but I believe that that is basically the way that it happened in the New Testament, and it's a pattern of of what we could expect to happen in our time too. So they were they were with one accord on the day of Pentecost, and suddenly the sound of a rushing mighty wind filled the house where they sat. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. Here we're, we, we have to see, we have to notice there's something very special here. Two of the most powerful things of nature appeared. Fire and wind. Fire births fire. Fire ignites itself over and over and over. And the wind... Is a great causes a great shaking. It causes great disasters. I was just in Hurricane Alley, down there in in New, New Orleans. I mean, that's they get the brunt of almost every hurricane that comes through there. And then up here, there's the tornadoes. I remember one time, I was up here north. Let's see what ta- was the little town. I was speaking in a little church up. Don't even remember where I was, but up north here in Minnesota, and we were heading off to go to down to Laredo and then into Colombia in our little airplane. And I was with uh, a good buddy of mine. He's going to be with the Lord now, Ted Erdmans. And he said, Bob, there's, here comes a tornado. Well, you know, tornadoes are kind of dangerous for airplanes. <laughs> All you need for an airplane to fly is wind. You doesn't have to have a pilot. doesn't have to have even the engine turned on. It'll take off by itself if enough powerful wind hits the front. And so, so I, I said, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'll just take off and I'll go around it. And he was, that was before the age of the cell phones. If he would have had a cell phone and I had a cell phone, I'm sure he would have been calling me every two minutes. Are you guys still alive? He was so scared. But we went around that. But this is amazing how that God showed his power. And um, it's very important for us today, 
being a Pentecostal church, not to let this experience become so common that we get in a rut. When was the last time you felt the fire of the Holy Ghost on you? When was the last time you felt that powerful wind of the Holy Spirit blowing on your life? I felt it this morning when I was praying. I felt the Holy Spirit just moving through my body. And to me, that's very important. Not feelings, but I know that God has anointed me to preach his word. And I have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And you do too. Every single one of the body have that privilege of being plugged in to the work of the Holy Spirit. We see old Peter who 50 days before denied the Lord three times. And he was forgiven. And now he couldn't even stand up to a little maiden who said, you're one of his followers. And he denied it. And you know the story. He went off to fish and Jesus came to him and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? <laughs> do you agape me love? <laughs> Do you love me that way? He, he got discouraged. He says, only you know that, Lord. But he, 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 you know, he, he denied him three times, and the Lord challenged him three times. That was his, his uh, what should I say, his punishment of the Lord for denying him. How the Lord was so loving to Peter. And now here's Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. And he stands up and preaches a message. You've got to read that message. Dear me, he preached the message. It was so powerful that before he finished, they began to probably raise their hands and, and they, at least they yelled, Peter, we believe you. We know we killed the Messiah. What do we do now? <laughs> he said, repent. Be baptized. And this same gift is for you. But the most thrilling thing of this is the multiplication. 3,000 people were saved. Can you imagine having a baptismal service with 3,000 people in it? I don't know if they did like they do sometimes in other countries. I, we literally baptize everyone. A pastor does it. We've baptized over 300 people in one setting one time. And I'll tell you, I was tired of baptizing people after that. Here there's 3,000. I don't know how it was done, but it was done. But the most thrilling thing about this thing is, notice here, I'm going back now to, to Acts, and I'm going to mention what it says in Acts chapter 2. It says that in verse 42... This is thrilling to me because we see a lot of people coming to the Lord and we don't see uh, a lot of times a huge percentage of them being staying in the things of the Lord. I mean, they sometimes go back into the world. Uh, Billy Graham, he's he was from he's from over there in Carolina, but he does he still have his office here? Not anymore. He's 94 years old, still with a heart for God. He would preach if he could. And um, he says that in his crusades, only 6% of those that came forward and gave their name 
would be true to the Lord. Well, here you got a setup. Listen to this. In chapter 2, verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. How many of you would like to see people established in the Lord like that so quickly. That was a divine, divine moment in history. That's when the church was birthed by fire and wind. But the church still needs to be into that fire and wind. And we need to continue to speak in tongues. I speak in tongues every day. Uh, I really believe it's part of my, my warfare and spiritual warfare, and, and I see God, God blessing me and, you, and, and using me through all that, through speaking in tongues. We see that um, then in just, I don't know, it wasn't very long. We don't know chronological how long it was before they were going up to prayer. The temple, beautiful. And two of the, the apostles... Peter and John, and they see this, this guy that's sick there. And Peter says, silver and gold, have I none? Do you really believe that? I don't think he was literally saying, I don't have a penny in my pocket. I think what he was saying is, you know, even if I had a bunch of money, it isn't what you need. He says, I have what you need. I have the power of God. And um, th- now this is, this is a message. I mean, this is Peter extending his hand. He prayed for him to get to his feet. He didn't get to his feet. He stuck out his hand, pulled him to his feet, literally. That's what the word says. And when his feet received the weight of his body, his feet were instantaneously made whole. God give us that faith. Give us that uh, direction to see. How many of you believe that God can still do what he did during the days that Jesus marched on this earth? We all believe it, but we don't see it often. But I believe it's because we don't move in the anointing of the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. I believe that God wants to, to that fire to stir us up that wind to move. And I think that in, in, in uh, verse 46 it says, did I read that already? So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know, since I've been pastoring 30 years at that church where I pastor, when I came in there, uh, there was only about 250 people. Every time I've preached in that church for 30 years, I've never seen a service where at least one person didn't get saved. Just the continual 
I preached uh, Sunday before last down there. No, two Sundays ago. Uh, three Sundays ago. And I gave an altar call in the first set service. There was only about eight people in the building that had never been there before. They all came forward. We, we give a, out a deal. We st- put a sticker on them during the right after we sung service. We invite those to stand that are there first there. We don't give them out pencils and stuff. We stick a sticker on their shirt or blouse and says that God had brought them there and that they should expect a miracle in their life. And then when we give the altar call, we see all those people. Almost everyone that comes for the first time comes down to get saved. And in the second service, I saw over 45 people come forward. And I wasn't preaching an evangelistic message. I've preached on tithing for 45 minutes and given an altar call and see 80 people come to the Lord. When there's revival, I mean, you just toss in the hook. I mean, you don't need anything. God does it. And that's what we need is that touch of God. We need that revival in our lives, in our churches. We need the blowing of the Spirit in our lives. Um, I remember when... When I first got saved, my brother was healed. I mentioned that earlier. And we went off to a youth camp about two or three months after. No, it was actually, this, this happened about two years later. And I was crying out to God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I wasn't, I wasn't receiving. I, was, I, I could feel the Holy Spirit in my life, but I was not uh, receiving the fullness and speaking in tongues and so on. I went to a youth camp. And uh, that night they spoke uh, on the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I knelt down on my chair there, and I began to pray and said, Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit tonight. And, and uh, all of a sudden then I began speaking in tongues. And I was so happy I got up, but I had no demonstration. I didn't shake. I didn't quiver. I didn't, you know, dance around, do anything. And my brother, Bill, who had been healed of epilepsy, he was over in another corner uh, praying. I felt led to go over and put my hands on him. And when I put my hand on his head, it was like he was ejected from a pilot seat in an F-whatever-it-is fighter. He just shot up and came down right on on his back. And he started jumping up and down off the floor. He he wasn't moving. It was the power of God. And I cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, fill him with the spirit. I didn't tell you to kill him. (laughs) And he was like a a little ball bouncing on the floor. And, And when he came up from that infilling of the Holy Spirit, my brother was so changed. And I doubted that I had been filled because I had no no uh, manifestation of this, you know, power of God on me. And so I went to my pastor, the one that prayed for my brother, and he was there. And he says, oh, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's no problem. It's just that some people, God manifests himself in some people more than others and so on. He was so changed that two years later, after he finished his first year of Bible school, he went off to 
British uh, Guiana down in South America. And he got down there. A pastor invited him. He didn't even know him. I don't know how that all worked out. But he got down there, and he thought, the pastor thought he was a great evangelist. So he had a crusade all set up for him. And my brother said, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. I'm, I'm blessed to the Lord, and I'm, I'm a freshman. I'm going to be now a sophomore in Bible school. Uh, you know, God took that guy. He said, I preached the same message, basically. I just changed the title. Every night. He said, I didn't have anything more to preach. <laughs> and he said that, that God, I mean, he'd only been saved just a little while. And he said that God did miracles of healing and all kinds of stuff. He came back on fire for God. And until the Lord took him a few years ago, he crashed in his helicopter. Flying a helicopter. But it was his time to go. And he's up there rejoicing with the angels right now. But uh, he was tremendously used of God. And when we had the funeral, we, we postponed it for, I think it was two weeks. So that people from, from Tanzania, people from Mexico, people from all around the world came that he had influenced in his life. And uh, just because he was passionate because of the passion that the Holy Ghost gives us. And that's what really counts. And, and this is open to all of us. We can have our dip, deeper walk with God in the flow of the Spirit. What time did I start? Okay. Okay. I hear all these different. <laughs> okay. As a result of that, and through all the things that that God has has worked in us, we have literally seen all kinds of things happen. I was telling uh, you, your pastors the other night how we purchased a house out in Tracy. And I just want to mention this because it never happened to me before and never happened to me since. But we were, um, we inherited, when my mother passed away, we inherited some money, both Bill and myself. And so we didn't have a house. When we left for the mission field in 1963, we sold our brand new house that we had built and uh, had all new furniture. We sold everything and left for the mission field and lived by faith. We lived on what we made off the house and stuff for a while, but that ran out. And then we, we just prayed in the money because we didn't have enough support from our church and other churches that had promised us some support didn't come. So God was faithful through all that. Well, uh, we decided that we had four daughters and nine of our grandchildren living in California. So that would be the logical place to buy a house again now that we had some money to put down on it. It wasn't enough money to pay for the whole house. We make payments every month. But anyway, so we had offered some money on a house and it was owned by some Arabs and uh, they they didn't accept the offer. They said we, we have it set for a lot higher price. We refinanced it. We, if we sell it uh, we won't get a thing out of it. So we're just going to live here until the bank takes it away. And so that thing was cancelled. And we only had about a week or two, about two weeks before we had to leave for Columbia again. And I was preaching that day, 
uh, Sunday. And I hadn't really investigated where I was going to be preaching. I was preaching from one end of the San Joaquin Valley to the other end, uh, 200 and some miles distance from one church to the other. So I went down there and preached and coming back. I was doing spiritual warfare the whole time, speaking in tongues, saying, Lord, show us which house we should buy. We've got enough money to put a down payment, and our credit's good. This thing will go through quickly. Just show us. If this isn't your will, close the doors. So I got back late at night. My wife didn't go with me. It was a long trip. I don't blame her for not wanting to ride that from one end to the other end of the valley. And uh, I went to bed, got up in the morning. My wife was still sleeping. And out on the kitchen table, there was uh, there was a newspaper, the Mercury Press, which is a big newspaper in San Jose, California, where we were staying with our, one of our daughters, married daughters. And... Uh, I started looking through the ads for houses for sale. And this one thing on the paper just began to jump up and down. I mean, literally, it looked like it was, it was uh, kind of, yeah, that's what I thought. It was made for me. It had to be God doing that. I mean, I'd look away, I'd turn the page, I'd come back, and that thing would show up right there. This is it. But I read the article, the ad, and it says, we build to suit. And it wasn't a house for sale, but I knew they had to have a house for sale because God was showing me that thing to call, and I needed a house right then. So I called this number, and the lady answered, and I said, "Uh, I'm calling about the house you have for sale. She said, oh, sir, you're mistaken. Uh, We don't sell houses. Uh, We receive your money, you choose a lot, and then we build to suit on the lot. And when it's done, then you you pay us for the house and you move in. I said, well, I'm sure you have a house for sale. And she said to me, you know, I work here. (laughs) She says, who are you? And I, I said, well, I'm a house buyer. I said, now this is really, this came to my mind. Just, I mean, it didn't just pop out. I'm not an emotional person. I'm very, very calm. And this thought came to my mind. Tell her to look on her desk and tell her, your boss put a little note to you on Friday night, and you haven't seen it. This is Monday morning. And she began to really get into me. I said, well, look, you haven't looked yet. And she, there was a long silence. She says, who are you? <laughs> who are you? you? You're telling me what I don't even, I didn't even know we had a house for sale, but it's here where you said it was. And she said, it's worth so much. It's worth selling it for so much. If you're interested, come up and see it. Well, I knew that had to be God, that that was a house we should buy. And so Marilyn and I went up there. We looked at it. It was a beautiful house that we wanted to buy. And uh, what, ha- what had happened, one of the people that had it built specially, they put in a lot of extras, over $45,000 of extras in the house. When it came time to sign and to pay, their credit had been damaged 
and their credit, they wouldn't loan them the money, the bank one. And that's when it was simple, really easy to borrow. And so they had knocked the price down almost all that $45,000 had been put into it. They, the company was going to eat that. And they were offering it for this price. And I told the lady, I said, do you think your boss would take a, give me a discount? She said, at this time, an hour, with you, my boss would do anything. <laughs> so I wrote him a little letter and offered him quite a bit less, and he took it the same day. Put in my papers. I said to the, I had to call the company, the loan company. I'd never made a loan for almost 50 years in the States, nothing. And so I, I had to call the, the loan company, and uh, she asked me for my credit, credit score. I said, what's that? I don't even know if I have a credit score. She said, well, you have one. Give me your social, and so I gave it to her. And she looks up, and she said, oh, this will, you got excellent credit. This will be a fast one, she says. I said, what papers do I need to bring? You don't have to bring any papers. It's a done deal. Just like that. In eight days, we had possession of the house. We had signed the papers, went through escrow. Everything was done in eight days. The lady said, this is truly a miracle. Nobody at this place has bought a house that goes through so fast. So it has to be God. Why am I saying all this? <clears throat> I believe that God wants to guide us so many times. But we're so spiritually minded that we don't apply this stuff to ordinary life and business deals and everything else. God wants to lead us and direct us in every choice and every decision that's of a certain level of importance. You know, we don't need to get so, don't need to pray for every little thing. But I, it's just wonderful how that God can, can direct us. And I believe that this is, uh, walking in the Spirit is the way to multiply your life, your ministry, and to be able to be very fruitful. There's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. They form three groups of gifts. You probably all know this. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, if you want to write it down. The gifts of revelation, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, now, I can give you examples for all of this. In, in John 8, 3 is the adulteress that is caught in adultery. Remember where they bring this woman that they say, we caught her in the very act of adultery. I've always said, where was the guy? You don't commit adultery alone. And knowing the machista culture that there was in those days, he probably paid the religious guys off. Who knows? But here's this poor woman, and she should be stoned according to the law. And they come and use that as a trap for Jesus. They're trying to trap him into saying something and then attacking him on that. You know, I believe that Jesus had all nine gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm talking about the nine spiritual gifts. Yeah, he had many more gifts than that. You're right. And so... He starts writing in the sand. Well, I've heard a sermon one time. What was he writing in the sand? Well, I, you know, all speculation. But anyway, Jesus says finally to the men, 
he that has not sinned. But actually, they tell me, I, I know a little Greek. He has a store down the street from where I live there. Uh, I haven't really looked this up, but I've been told this. That in Greek, the thought that comes there is all of any, any of you men here that haven't looked at a woman and lusted after her, throw the first stone. And all the men dropped their stones one by one. And Jesus said, why are those that accuse you? She said, Master, they're gone. He said, well, go. I forgive you too and go and sin no more. That's a tremendous gift. A word of wisdom. The word of knowledge. Uh, tremendous. Ananias comes in in Acts 5 and says, Peter, we sold this property for such and such a price, and we're going to give it all to the church. And Peter asked him a few more questions, and then he suddenly drops dead. And then his wife comes in some, several hours later, not knowing that he had died, and he asked the same thing to her, and she lied too, and she dropped dead. Wow. There wasn't much sin, I don't think, in that church for a while with that kind of a manifestation. The fear of the Lord hit the place. That word of knowledge is so important. How many of you ever went to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting when she was alive? I was in a Catherine Kuhlman meeting. Never forget it. I'd just come out of, of Venezuela. I'd gone down there when I was out of Mexico. I got arrested and kicked out of Mexico for seven months. I should tell you the whole story, but I just no time. I, I wasn't a criminal. I didn't get into, I wasn't disobeying any laws. I just didn't have, I was caught at the moment Catholic priest, a bishop, wrote a letter against me that I was dropping communistic propaganda with my airplane in, Colombia, in Mexico. They sent the Mexican am army after me. I was prisoner for three days and finally got down to the headquarters of uh, immigration in Mexico City, all at gunpoint for three days. And then they told me, well, we know you're, gu you're not guilty of what this letter says, but you don't have a, a missionary's visa, which did not exist. None of the missionaries had visas in those days. They all went on tourist visas, and I had my current tourist visa. Anyway, I was invited to go down there and have, have 15 days, flew a plane down there and had 15 days of, of meetings in, down in Venezuela. And on the way back, Brother Danny Ost, who I worked with, called me and says, I'm up here in St. Louis. Come up, and we're going to be in a Catherine Kuhlman meeting and different stuff. So I went up there. It was a businessmen's meeting there. Uh, and they had invited Catherine there. And we were sitting up on the platform. I was... Oh, you guys don't know who Catherine Kuhlman was? Oh, wow, I'm sorry. Catherine Kuhlman was a woman that... Uh, was saved at an early age, and she grew up in Idaho. She was uh, a woman that had a ministry, but in those days, that was back in probably, let's see, probably in the late 50s that she's trying, trying to become a minister, and nobody would have her in their churches. And then she began to seek God, 
um, and really get into the things of God. And God gave her a gift, a tremendous gift of the word of knowledge. And she would hold crusades in the Shriners thing out in, in Los Angeles. They have a big stadium or something. And I don't know where other in the, where, uh, what other parts of the states. But when I met her, she was famous then. And she had these crusades. Well, this we were between two big hotels in this big ballroom. I seated 5,000 people. It was jam-packed. And she came in. When she came into the meeting, she came in on the, right by the pulpit. There was a fire escape exit, fire exit. And so the policeman was there and let her in. And she came up on the platform. They'd invited all the pastors and all of the ministers there on the platform. And we were sitting just within about two meters from her. And she began to teach about how that she at one time couldn't get an audience to speak to anywhere in any place. And God had called her and she was a woman with a ministry, but they didn't accept her as a woman pastor at that time or a preacher. And so now she says, I get calls from all around the world. And if you're willing to pay a price, she said, in prayer and in spiritual warfare and getting to know the Holy Spirit, you can be used as I'm used. And she all of a sudden started pointing out people in the crowd. Like she'd point, the 5,000 people were there sitting. She'd point over here. There's some people over in this section that have, have had uh, cancerous tumors. If you'll stand to your feet and come up here, God will heal you. And then she called out about seven or eight different sicknesses. And the people just pour out of those areas and come down. Some of them would come with crutches. They were already healed. Some would come pushing uh, their wheelchairs. They were already healed. Some would come with hearing aids in their hands, their glasses in their hands. So you knew some of the things that they were being healed of. But I was so amazed. She would, she would, the people would come up one by one on the platform. She, she would just say, how long ago were you, have you how long have you had cancer? Nobody in about two or three hours. Now, this was going on. I, th- I think there were at least six. Uh, I think there were at least uh, probably two to 300 people that came forward with healing. And I never saw her miss when she would say, how long did you have epilepsy? How long did you have this or that? She named off the sicknesses, and they, they right away responded. So many months or so many years or so long. You know, that's, that's, and I never heard one say, well, it wasn't cancer, it was this. And all she would do was reach out her finger and touch their forehead, and everybody would fall down. Now, she had this, these guys and some women that were around that traveled with her, and they would try to catch the people. But if, if they touched the people before she touched them, and then she touched the person, the person and them would both go down like, I mean, just helpless, just paralyzed. I mean, and, and so I'm sitting there. I mean, I prayed for people many times, and people fall on the floor and all this. But when you see hundreds 
that every time, and they, she, no pushing. It was just, uh, just a gentle touch. And they go down. I thought, you know, this is very, could be very psychological. After you've seen this, I'm, I believe in, I've fallen out in the spirit many times. But after you've seen hundreds of people fall down, if you didn't fall down, <laughs> you're a sinner, you're, there's something wrong with you. So you just fall down. And so I said to the Lord, I said to the Lord, if she touches me, I guarantee you, if I fall down, it's because the Spirit touched me. And it isn't because I'm, you know, just going to go down. So anyway, this went on. And she finished her preaching. And here, Demas Shakarian, the president of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, came forward. And she reached out and touched his head and said, Oh, Shakarian, thank you for inviting me. And he sat on the floor, Indian style. He didn't go over backwards. He just, his feet just doubled, and he was sit, sitting on the floor with his legs crossed. I don't know how that one worked. I, can't, I couldn't do that if I tried. And, and I thought, man, this is something else. And so then here, Brother Danny Ost, he wanted to invite her to Mexico to be in some of the crusades he had. And he had written to her, and she'd never answered his letters. And so here she finished, and all of a sudden she just disappeared. She went out that door, and Brother Danny grabbed me and said, we got to go, we got to go after her. So we go through the door. <laughs> we go to the door, and here's the policeman. He says, no, you guys can't come out here. Well, she went out. I need to talk to her, Brother Danny said. No, you can't go out here. You'll have to wait till everybody in, the sanctu- in this auditorium goes out those doors down there. You're the- going to be the last ones out. So he was downhearted and all this. And I said, well, Brother Danny, things could be worse. I mean, if it's not of God, it's not of God, you know. We just... So we go, we go over to the... We go up to one of the rooms of the brethren from Minnesota. There were several brethren here from Minnesota that were great friends of Danny's. And we're drinking some Coke. And uh, the doors open. It's a plush hotel. I don't know if it's Hilton or whatever it was, but it was a plush hotel. And I hear a scream. And I went to the door. I was standing over by the door, and I looked out, and here this uh, guy with a cigarette in his mouth was coming out of the door directly across from us in the room there, and his wife was laying on the floor in this plush hotel, and he was really embarrassed that his wife was laying down on the floor. He said, what are you doing on the floor? And she said, I don't know, honey. Some lady came by and touched me. You guessed it. And I looked down the hall, and there she was, walking down the hall, and everybody could walk by her. She'd just reach out and touch them, and they'd fall down like a pile of bricks. I mean, they weren't Christians. They weren't anything seeking God. They weren't trying to prove a thing. They just had no power in their legs once she was touched, or they, she touched them. So I said, Danny, she's got head here. She's going out that way. <laughs> Now, you'll have to understand this. Brother Danny was about 350, 400-pounder, tall, big guy, huge guy. And here the two of us are jumping over bodies, running down this <laughs> corridor <laughs> to catch up to Catherine Kuhlman because Danny has a, <laughs> has a project for her, you know. He wants her to come to, to Mexico. We get down there to the end of the corridor, and there's a sharp turn, 
and there was a parking lot right out there. She was going to her car. And uh, she stopped a minute. Brother Danny, he started, he had a big, real deep voice. He said, Sister Kuhlman, I've written you several letters. I've invited you to come to Mexico to have some crusades there. And she just looked at him and said, Brother, the Holy Spirit's going through you. <laughs> and that, that hotel corridor shook like, a, like an earthquake when he hit the rug. And I said, I, my thoughts came through my mind. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to fall. <laughs> and there she reached out her hand and she said, the Holy Spirit is on you. Be blessed. And I didn't, for a few seconds, when I opened my eyes, I was laying right beside Brother Danny and we were smiling at one another. <laughs> and she was gone. <clears throat> he never got her down there. And you might ask, well, did you notice anything special in your life after that? I don't really think so. I think it was a, a great experience. I don't know what the Holy Spirit did at that time, but I was blessed of the Lord, and, and I really, really esteem highly her ministry and her life. She was a tremendous lady. But, you know, she says that she received those, those anointings through the Holy Spirit, out of desperation, seeking God so that she could be used of God. I think, this, I think this is open to anyone with a hungry heart that wants to pay a price. It costs. We have to shut off the television. We have to cut down on phone calls and stuff and not be so busy and seek the Lord. And God has a niche for every one of you. We don't want to all be Catherine Kuhlmans. But we do want to be used of God and the anointing the, the, the gift of the word of, of knowledge is so necessary, especially in, in leadership, so that we make good decisions and are led of the Lord. The discerning of spirits, well, we have that, man, that woman in Acts chapter 16, where she's a slave girl, and these guys are exploiting her gift of the enemy, that she has divination, a spirit of divination. And uh, she was telling, she was announcing in the streets, these men are from the Most High God. and You need to listen to them. And Paul got tired of this cheap advertisement. You know, she was advertising his, his ministry. But he sensed in his spirit, this is not of God. And he just stood there, turned around and said, get out of her spirit of divination. And she was completely freed instantaneously. That's why they went to jail in the Philippian jail. Because these slave owners went to the authorities and anyway, you know the story. But through that, the jailer and his whole family got saved and were baptized that night. I mean, God is a God that's interested in multiplying it's not just adding, it's multiplication. We're in the last days. Now, I, so I, I see Christians that are, that are subtracting. They're not, they're not even adding. They're just barely hanging on. I remember in our church there in Washington, there's an old fellow, he'd always get up and testify, brethren, pray for me that I can hold out till Jesus comes. I thought, dear Lord, don't let me ever have that kind of a spirit. 
We're victors. We're victorious. We have the battle is won. All we've got to do is fight it. We've got to fight and we've got to do our spiritual, use our spiritual warfare. And we will see tremendous things happen. The gift of healings. Here's Peter walking down the streets of Jerusalem in Acts 5.15. And the people would bring out their sick on beds and put them on the, on the sidewalks, hoping that his shadow would pass over them. Can you believe it? I mean, if God can do that with a guy that, that you know, was untrue to the Lord and forgiven, he can do that to anyone with any kind of a background. We have a bunch of Christians today that do not understand the depth of the forgiveness of God. I come across people all the time in my church. They are not sure that God has forgiven their past and it's haunting them. Some of them don't know the difference between the voice of the devil or the voice of God. God never condemns. God convicts. God convicts of sin, and he loves us, and he wants us to repent. He wants us to get back on track. Once we're back on track, God has buried those sins in the deepest ocean, it says, in the scriptures, never to remember them. So we are chosen. We are predestined. We have the ability to be filled with the Holy Ghost, walk in the, in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and to see all kinds of miracles and all kinds of things happening for the multiplication of the church. The healing, the miracles. I believe the miracles were when Jesus used nature to show forth his power. What about the miracle fish catch? I mean, here's Peter. He's a professional fisherman. He doesn't know that Jesus is, is Jesus the, the Lord, the Messiah, he thinks of him as a, as a carpenter from, from Nazareth. And when Jesus uses his boat, and then Jesus uh, tells him, cast the net, cast out, go out from the beach and cast the net. Peter's thinking, this is Finky version. Peter's thinking, you and your, in your carpenter shop, you're the expert. On this boat, I'm the expert. I almost... My mother almost gave birth to me here on this, on this little boat. I fished all night last night and didn't catch a thing. We never fish at this hour in this lake. I mean, Peter had umpteen reasons why this wasn't going to work. But what I love about Peter is he said, Mas en tu palabra, in your word, by your word, I will cast the net. Can you imagine... That under normal circumstances, he wouldn't have pulled out one fish. He knew that. But he was willing to take a step of faith in obedience to the Lord. And the Lord called all those fish under his net. When that thing hit the water, have you ever fished with a net, any of you? Man, when you hit fish, that thing gets very heavy. It goes down like a rock. Because the fish try to get away. The fish try to fight against you. And... Filled the net till it was breaking. And old Peter has to call for his other brothers over there. He wasn't the lone ranger. We can't be lone rangers in the church of God, can we? 
We're in a body. We work together as a team. We're a team. And so here they come and fill both, both boats. What did Peter say when he got to the shore? He got down on his knees on that beach and he said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy of this. Through that one miracle, he realized who Christ really was. We need to see more of the supernatural. And I know it's easy for me to stand up here and say that this, but God wants to do things in people's lives. I know that you guys have seen all kinds of miracles in your church. And I know that God is going to do greater things even, but if we can get tuned in to the Holy Spirit and be desirous of more of the Lord and his presence and direction using these gifts that God has given. Jesus, or Paul says to seek the, the best gifts. What are the best gifts? The best gifts are the ones that you need to use concerning your ministry. To me, maybe, maybe the gift of whatever isn't the best gift for me. But if I'm in projects, the gift of faith is really helpful. I mean, faith, we all have faith. We're not saved unless we have faith. But when you have the gift of faith, that is multiplied. And you can do, have big projects and see things happen. The gift of faith, uh, the gift of miracles, I believe, is where, where Jesus dominated the, the nature and where all of these different things happened. The inspirational, did I read all these off? The gifts of power, healings, miracles, and faith. The three inspirational gifts are speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. God wants us to really have a hunger and let him revive us in, in these areas. Let me just say one more thing. I, I really feel that this is very necessary to say. I've been noticing in my years of ministry that there are a lot of people that have tremendous ministries. And I think that a lot of people nowadays are using their gifts in ministry. All of these gifts. But without really being tuned in to God. We're called. We have giftings. We have talents. We have abilities. And we can operate on them and see some results. But when we have the gifts and the anointing of the Holy Ghost flowing in us together, we'll see much greater things. I think a lot of the failures in ministry today, and there's a ton of them, I didn't realize I've been told recently there's over 1,500 pastors leaving the ministry every month in the United States alone. People get discouraged. People need to realize we need to be tuned in to God. Have a time with your wife, with your husband, with your family. Have a time alone with the Lord every day. Go through the Bible at least once a year. Have a time where you are nourished because the, gift, the gifts alone are not going to do it. We need to have that personal relationship with Jesus. 
We need to walk in purity and holiness. We need to have lives completely sanctified unto him. And then this whole thing works as an, a, like a team working through us. And we will see great things happen. Stand to your feet, please. Thank you for your, uh, your, your attention here. Just ask the Lord to minister to you in the area that he's speaking to you about right this minute. I don't know what your needs are, but God does. And let's just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, just fill us with your Holy Ghost, Lord. God, I pray today that that fire that appeared on the day of Pentecost will appear in our lives in a frequent manner, Lord, that that wind, that powerful wind that blew upon that 120 people there on the day of Pentecost will blow on us again, afresh and anew. Lord, we ask you to manifest your spirit in our lives. Lord, touch the hearts of people that have been living in a spiritual desert for some time. I just pray that the springs of water will Gush forth, Lord. There'll be new joy. There'll be new enthusiasm. There'll be new touch from you, Lord. I'm sure there are people going through hard times right now that are here today. Lord, I just ask you to minister to them in a special way. You're our loving God. You have come not to condemn us. You've come to build us up. You've come to encourage us. You've given us the gifts. You've given us not only the nine spiritual gifts you've given us god these functional gifts you've given us all kinds of gifts because of your grace not because we're worthy but because of your grace and love for us and today we ask you to move afresh and anew in our hearts we ask you lord for our children the the parents of children that are wayward that are away from you today we pray that the holy ghost will get a hold of those children's lives We ask you to work in a tremendous way, God, for these different groups, people's groups that are gathering under this covering here, Lord. It's not easy to leave your nation and come to another nation with different customs and different languages. Lord, I pray for grace on them. I pray for a mighty anointing of your Holy Ghost on them today. I ask you, God, to raise up in each people group represented here today a mighty revival that you will cause things to happen in this, in the tri-cities here, the twin cities of Minnesota here, Lord, that you will just move by your Holy Ghost through these different people groups and may they draw others from their countries to you. May there be a revival, O oh God, in each one of these people's groups. In the name of Jesus, we believe it, we claim it. We ask you, God, to pour out your Holy Ghost on every one of these groups. We ask you, Lord, to bless Bethel here in St. Paul, Bethel over there in Minneapolis. We pray, O oh God, for anointing on their lives, their pastors, their leaders. We just ask you, God, to pour out of your Holy Ghost one time more. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is willing to move. Your Holy Spirit is waiting on us to take steps of faith, to begin to cry out to you, to begin to desire more of you. God, I just pray that you will stimulate our hearts today by your Spirit. God, if there are any 
thing that are hold, anything that's holding us back. We declare complete freedom. God, break the bondages, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that every religious spirit will be bound in Jesus' name. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to free us, that we will be free to be flowing in your Holy Ghost and moving in your Spirit. Oh, in the name of Jesus, we bless these pastors. We bless these congregations. We bless Pastor Jim and Sister Annette. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray a fresh anointing on him. I pray that you will touch their tired bodies. Give them, oh God, rest and strength. Give them, oh God, a new touch of your grace and your Holy Ghost on their lives. Bless all of their children, their grandchild. In Jesus' name, we ask you, God, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit and grace on their lives afresh and anew today. We pray, oh God, that Sister Annette will receive new strength. God, strengthen her body. She works hard. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you will relax her and give her rest. And give her a touch of your Holy Ghost. Give her a new, uh, a new desire, oh God, to, to be used more than ever before for you. Thank you for her life. Thank you for the servant that she is. Thank you for the way that she has blessed so many, Lord. And we just pray that your grace will be upon her. Give her good health. Strengthen her body. Give her rest. Give her the anointing, oh God, that she desires. I pray in the name of Jesus, we just pray for a fresh move of your Holy Ghost on Bethel, St. Paul, in Jesus' name. We pray, oh God, for a multiplication, a spirit of multiplication to come on this congregation. We ask you, oh Holy Spirit, that you'll just be poured out. Cause people to wake up earlier in the morning. Help them not to be able to stay in bed, but to get up and begin to do spiritual warfare. I just pray in the name of Jesus that you'll send a tremendous revival in all of these churches that meet here and that are in this, under this covering, Lord, this team of leaders. In Jesus' name, we bless each one. We pray, O oh God, for your favor in finances. We pray, O oh God, for your favor in health. We pray, O oh God, for your favor in wisdom. In the name of Jesus, flow. Holy Ghost of God, reach out and touch them. Blow, Holy Spirit, your fire. Put your fire in our lips. Put your fire in our heart. Put your fire in our lives. In the name of Jesus, wind of the Holy Ghost, blow freshly again in this place, God. I pray in the name of Jesus, pour out your Holy Ghost with signs and wonders, with the nine gifts of the Holy Ghost in function. In this place and in these places, we claim it. We believe it. We confess it in the name of Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing, for what you're going to do. We thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done. I'm just astounded at how many people's groups are here and the covering and the nurturing and the blessing and the love that you feel in this place for these different pastors and different groups. We bless you and praise you for that, Lord. And now we pray that you'll take them to a new level. A new level in the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit that breaks the yoke. It's the Spirit that breaks the yoke. Oh, in the name of Jesus, break the yokes off your people. Oh, we bless you. Oh, we bless you. 
We praise you in the name of Jesus. We exalt your name, Holy Spirit. We exalt your name, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Father. Oh, in the name of Jesus, we exalt you. We exalt you. Lord, I pray, I sense that there's some here that have fear in their hearts, Lord. I pray that you'll free them from all fears. In Jesus' name. Fears is not of you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, take this, uh, take this fear away from them. In the name of Jesus, I pray, oh God, that you'll put in its place boldness. Boldness, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You shall be my witnesses. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that they would begin to share what's been planted in their hearts and that every single person that's in this meeting today will be freed, oh God, to become more fruitful. Take them to a new level. In Jesus' name we pray. We bless you. We praise you. We exalt you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you that you loved us. Thank you that we can love you. Lord, as we go from this house today, I pray that you'd fill afresh everyone with that immeasurable love of the Father and the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus the Son and the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit. Be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours. Sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. Until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home. May his goodness and mercy chase you down. For the glory of his name I bless you in Jesus name. Amen, amen, amen.